0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to First Corinthians chapter number eleven and verse number twenty-three. First Corinthians chapter number eleven and verse number twenty-three. As we come to the Lord's table, there's a few things that we need to emphasize as to the reason why we do what we do and what we are doing when we come to the Lord's table. The Apostle Paul, as he is dealing with the church at Corinth, he is instructing them on certain things that were done improperly in the church, some things that were taken uh, out of their context and come to mean something completely different than what they were established for. At Corinth, they were having these love feasts which is a meal that was supposed to have been a celebration of this very meal before us but it had become something completely different and so the apostle paul is recentering them on what is important to remember at the lord's table and so we pick up reading in verse number 23 and Verse 22, he was saying, hey, don't you have a place to eat at home? Can't you do that kind of thing there? This is something different. And he goes to verse number 23, and he begins to tell us about the Lord's table. He said, for I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner, he also he took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Paul picks up there and says, For as often as ye eat this bread, and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until He come. The main emphasis of what the Apostle Paul is speaking of is that of remembrance. You'll catch that in the two phrases that are attributed to the Lord Jesus. Remembrance. To remember. That's what I want to speak to you in just a few moments about remembrance or to remember. You know, one of the things that the reasons that we make memorials and in our area is rich in in civil war monuments and memorials is to remember things so that they do not slip into forgetfulness at the vietnam vietnam Memo- uh, vietnam veterans memorial uh, that long black wall you remember in washington dc one of the most poignant and and subtly beautiful monuments there uh, to those that lost their life in the Vietnam War. People over the years have come and they have left things to be remembered by. Don Moses says that often they leave tokens of remembrance, flags, sealed letters, pieces of clothing and photos. And over the years, people, volunteers have come by and they've taken these daily tokens and stored them at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Collection. A book called Offerings at the Wall pictures many of these mementos. One man left dog tags, a headband, and a letter that reads this. To all of you you here from Echo Company, 1st Marine Regiment, 1st Marine Division, I leave you my headband which contains my sweat from the war, my dog tag, and a picture of me and Mike. Another time, another place, I'll never forget you. A woman left a braid of hair and a picture of a house with an American flag hanging at the porch. Her note read, Wayne, I think of you every day and miss you so much. I love you. Written on one flag was this message, May all of you who died, all of you still missing, and all of you who returned home never be forgotten, Connie. You know, it's very interesting how the Bible itself emphasizes the importance of remembrance, to remember things. It's almost... A theology of remembrance in the Bible. For example, uh, Psalms 77, 11. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. Solomon instructed us in Ecclesiastes 12:1. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And Paul the apostle in Ephesians says, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision in the, in the flesh made by hands. Paul emphasized the fact, I don't want you to forget where you came from, who you were. In the book of Deuteronomy, four distinct, in four distinct locations, God tells the children of Israel, Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondsman in Egypt. The instruction to remember in the Bible is constantly uh, be recalling, recollecting, and replaying in our minds certain truths. We are to never let them slip out of our hearts and out of our hands. Never let certain instances gather dust in our minds and in our hearts. We are in particular commanded to remember the death of our Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, our ordinances that we we accept as orders from the Lord is one, baptism, believer's baptism, and two, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It's something that Jesus gave us explicit command of here in our text, but also in, in the Gospels in Luke 22, 19. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me. Jesus told us what tokens that He wants us to use to remember His death. It's not up to us to say, well, this week we're going to have filet mignon and something different to drink. He gave us specifically what we are to use, the bread and the cup. Now, each has deep meaning infused in them in order to point us to the Lord Jesus, and particularly the cross upon which He gave His life. As we approach the Lord's table, I want us to remember a few things about the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this table before us is primarily for us to take us to Calvary, to take us to the cross. And so as we do that, I want you to first of all remember that it was a vicious death. We cannot approach the Lord's table without remembering the sufferings and the agony of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was beaten and smitten prior to His crucifixion on the cross. He was also scourged. If you'll recall, during the trial of the Lord Jesus, His face was smote many times. And he he had different occasions in which people would pull out his beard, smite his face, and he went through all manner of beatings and humiliations before he's ever hung on the cross. One of these one of these uh, 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 punishments in which the Lord Jesus endured was that of the scourging, uh, the flagellum, uh, the flag- flagrum. The flagrum that was used was a Short whip. It had a handle of about eighteen inches long, and then out from that, it had nine separate straps, maybe two foot long straps of leather, leather into which was braided and woven uh, pieces of 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 metal, uh, of steel, of coral, and bones that were infused in that, so that they might scratch and and and, and pull at the flesh of the one being beaten, Jesus was smitten with this again and again at the cross, across His shoulders, His backs and legs. With each successive blow of that whip, it tears into the deep tissue, not only the skin, the outer layer of skin, but in the deep tissues of the muscle to produce ribbons of bleeding flesh. Uh, Jesus, it is said that the scourging, many people who were scourged the full extent of the Roman law allowed never made it to crucifixion uh, that, their, that their inward parts would simply fall from their body with no muscle to hold it in. And yet the Lord Jesus endured all of that alive at the mocking of Jesus a crown of thorns was shaped and molded by a centurion who had the demented joke of saying if this is a king let us give him a crown and they took these thorns uh, put in uh, into formed into a wreath and they took them and pierced the brow and the head of the lord jesus smashing that crown of thorns into the crown area in which there are multitude of vessels to feed blood into the vein, uh, one of the most important, the most important organ of the body, the brain. And so there are so many vessels in the mind, in the brain. And so, therefore, it, this, this crown of thorns pierced those, and, and blood profusely ran from his head. At the crucifixion site, iron spikes measuring five to seven inches long were were taken and, and driven through Jesus' hands, whether you believe the, the central part of the hand or or the bony area within the wrist just short of the hand. Either one in, in that time period would have been recognized as the hand. Uh, but in, in either case, it was an imaginable pain of suffering with that shoots nerve endings that would You know, the hand is particularly one with a lot of nerve endings. Naturally so, for it is what we touch and feel by. It's what we're guided by in many instances. And there are so many nerves, endings, and everything. And Jesus was nailed through those hands into a piece of wood. And then, after that, His feet, in the same manner, agonizing, were pierced through by these long spikes. And there He is, crucified, nailed to a cross. A human being nailed to a piece of wood. There on that cross, Jesus bore the weight of His body in His hands and His feet. The torturous agony of the cross is it is a constant battle for air. The body itself as... As it hangs by uh, those, those nails, it becomes difficult to breathe. The, uh, the body begins to convulse and it, it, becomes, it begins to cramp, making it difficult to breathe. And so one must pull themselves up to be able to take a breath and the diaphragm of the body, push air in and out. Once hung down, once pushing up, the, the excruciating pain is focused upon the feet that are nailed to the cross. And and as that feet becomes unbearable, as the breath is taken, uh, the feet relax to take the pain uh, from off of the feet, the nails in the feet, only to uh, to have searing pain come through the hands and the choking and uh, of air from the body as they are hanging. It is a constant agony between... Two extremes of pain, while all the while his riven back rubbed up against the uh, the timber, the raw timber uh, that is behind him. The simple act of breathing has never been so agonizing for a single human being than that of crucifixion. The scriptures testify to the vicious effects of crucifixion. Isaiah thirty-five five. But he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. It is as though Isaiah looks through a telescope of prophecy and sees what the Lord Jesus is enduring. Also, Psalm 22 talks about the the piercing of the hands and of the feet and those round about Him uh, that mocked Him. I tell you, it is a prophetic lens into the suffering of the Lord Jesus. It was a vicious death. Not only vicious, but also vicarious. A vicarious death. All that he endured and yet he did no crime worthy of such a penalty. Under Hebrew law or under Roman law did no crime so severe as to merit such punishment. Two of his closest disciples Ones that spent every waking moment for three and a half years with the Lord Jesus testified in 1 Peter two twenty two, who did no sin. Speaking of Jesus, who did no sin, and neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. 1 John three five, John the beloved says, and we know that the that he was manifest. To take away sin, and in Him is no sin. Jesus was perfect and spotless, morally in, in untouchable as far as accusations are concerned, and also the Holy Spirit inspired the author of the Book of Hebrews in the Hebrew epistle to write in Hebrews four fifteen. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are. Yet without sin, Jesus was a perfect specimen of morality, of of impeccable character. There could be no accusation both outwardly or nor inwardly by God against the Lord Jesus. And yet death came. You read the accounts of the Gospels. He breathed His last after giving a great shout, a great lament. He breathed out His last. He died on the cross. Death comes as the result of sin. We know this from Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. So why did he who was sinless die a sinner's death? It was not for what he had done. it's for what we had done. The word vicarious, you know, it's not something we use in everyday language. I don't go around using the word vicarious. But the particular reason that we use it is that a very specific word could that could be used in theological context, and this is what it means. The word vicarious means something endured or done by one substituting for another. Jesus substituted himself for who? The guilty party. You and I, he, he endured the cross. He endured the cross on our behalf. He died our death. He died for us. He died in our stead and in our place. Isaiah, as he describes in excruciating detail, the, the agonies of Messiah, he goes on to say, Isaiah 53 6 all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all the Apostle Paul echoes this when speaking about our reconciliation to God the setting of our indebted account to the righteousness of God that yields to us a standing of justification. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. For He, God, made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. That is the basis of justification. Justification is an indication that at the moment I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, my account of sin is settled at the cross and my account is infused with the righteousness of Jesus Christ before Heavenly Father above. There is no charge that can be made to me for my sin. Yes, I do sin. Yes, I fail God. And it matters in my walk with God, my sinless, my, whole, my, my, my sinful state, and my, my sanctification, the way, I, the way I live my life. It matters in my relationship to God. I don't want to be chastened as sons. I want to walk in light as He is in the light and have fellowship with Him. But in the scope of my standing before God, The vicarious death of Jesus means I am justified, declared righteous. Declared righteous, acceptable before God. The ordinance in which we partake this Lord's Day is a direct reflection of what Christ has done for us on the cross. A vicious death, a vicarious death, also a voluntary death. Let us remember that the most agonizing part of crucifixion, although I have outlined in an, um, an, 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 a fairly a fairly grotesque amount of what the suffering might entail physically to his body, the most in, in, in the most uh, powerful or or agonizing part of his humiliation and suffering on the cross was not physical, but it was spiritual. He was separated from His Father. Father and Son were separated. Now, we might not think that much of that in our day and time. Uh, Fathers and sons are often seen at odds and, and, and not in perfect harmony with each other. But never in the life of Jesus, there had never been, not one time, had Jesus known anything but perfect fellowship with the Father. Complete communion and harmony with God. And yet at Calvary, while He bare our sin in His own body on the tree, He cried this, Mark fifteen thirty-four. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? We, we can only stand back and look into the abyss of what Jesus is speaking about, but we have to know there was something of a, of a God turning His back, a, a God hiding His face, from His Son as He bare our sin on Calvary's cross. We can't completely uh, fathom or explain what is happening here, but we do know this is that He was suffering an, an alienation from His Father. No doubt this was the anguish of the cup of the Garden of Gethsemane. Mixed in with the physical suffering, the separation from Father. He prayed to his Father in Luke 22 42, saying, Father, if it be, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine will. Be done. In that statement, we know that Jesus, the Son of God and the Son of Man, willingly submitted himself to the agonies of the cross and obedience to the determined counsel of the will of God for him to die on the Calvary's cross and suffer uh, and the suffering that he would incur of divine separation. Why? Why did He voluntarily yield Himself to such a horrific separation and and endearment both, both, both physical and spiritual? Why? Because for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved this world and gave His Son not only to stand and to teach us the way of God, the holy path of God, the paths of righteousness, of knowing God, but to lay down His life on Calvary's cross as an old Oh, black preacher friend of mine, years ago I heard him preach. The Lord looked down, the Lord came down, and then the Lord laid down. He laid down his life on Calvary's cross. Satan surely thought he, he laid his life down on Calvary's cross. As a matter of fact, Galatians tells us that he did so because of his love for you and me. Galatians 2.20 Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. Jesus was under no compulsion. No compulsion to go to the cross. He willingly, voluntarily laid down His life in our stead. No other acceptable sacrifice could be given for sin save the Lamb of God which John said taketh away the sin of the world. A vicious death, a vicarious death, a voluntary death, lastly and finally, a victorious death. A victorious death. It seems strange that a death could be victorious. Don't we always in the in the in the movies or in the stories the books we read we always account that death is 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 a failure it is a loss but with the lord jesus the death is victory the death of the lord jesus is ultimate victory colossians 2:14 to 15 he put it here as as what it, what the impact of the death of jesus was for us saying, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them opening, openly, triumphing over Him. Paul gives us some insight into that satanic world of the Satan, where Satan must have been laughing. ha, <laughs> ha! I finally rid myself of this, man, Jesus. He'll never preach against me. He'll never do the works of God again. But God brought victory over sin through the death of the Lord Jesus. Only through Jesus' blood are we justified. Saved from the Father's wrath and reconciled to God. I know many of you have read or at least seen the movie or maybe you've heard the story of C.S. Lewis, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in that scene where Aslan is brought before all the howling wicked beasts that symbolize demonic powers and the the white witch which symbolizes Satan. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus walking into the mouth of Calvary and there they laid Him on that large table and they killed Him. They slaughtered Him him and they howled and hooped but in that killing that table broke which was the law of God and in that death the law was satisfied I tell you that's what Jesus did for us on Calvary's cross his death on that cross specifically poignantly satisfied the demands of God's law and his righteousness on our behalf Listen to Romans five nine and ten. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, to God by the death of his Son. Much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Even even the uh, the, uh, the 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 accounts of the uh, the the Lord's Supper in the Gospels, they allude to the coming back of Jesus. Until I drink this cup with you in my kingdom. It is a living gospel. It didn't stop at death, but it goes on to the victory of the resurrection. Matter of fact, Isaiah once again, the prophet hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, he, he pinpoints this resurrection and this pleasing of the Lord. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand and he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify me. for he shall bear their iniquities." Isaiah saw it. Jesus carried the iniquities. He carried the burden. He carried the shame of our sin and died for it on that cross. Sin's penalty has been met. For Jesus paid it all. The death of Jesus was a victorious death. It, It signaled victory of God's plan and redemption. His death can mean victory for you and I today. We live in that victory. Every day He died for us. That's what these elements indicate. Jesus' death for us. What is before us and what Jesus says about what is before us is in many respects a presentation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ before we come to this table and celebrate what Jesus has done for us, let me issue the call of the Gospel. Come and repent. If You're here and have never come to the cross, never realizing your own sin and turning from sin and self and put your trust in Jesus. Do so now. Now in this hour. Trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You be seated as we come to a song of invitation and reflection. And so I want to just briefly play a song. And you, you begin to reflect and think about the Gospel and how the Lord Jesus has saved you.